Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to NJS Bay's Blog Talk Radio Show, Conversations on New Jersey Education. A show dedicated to creating a conversation among those of us in the education community and beyond on the important education issues of the day. A conversation that brings the state leaders to you, and I hope that you all feel free to join in the conversation. My name is Ray Penny, and I will be your host this morning. A couple of ground rules. Uh, first, we will not be using the chat room feature of the show today. Uh, and if you are interested in calling in, a few things you should know. You call one three four seven nine eight nine eight nine oh four one three four seven nine eight nine eight nine oh four. When you're ready to make a comment or ask a question, you press the number one and that will indicate in my switchboard that you are ready to ask a question. Um, and uh I have someone who will be screening the calls. Her name is Christy, so that I can get the names of the caller and their questions on the topic. I will let you know a few people already emailed me and called me and had a few questions for the, our guest, Assemblyman Dagnan. Um, if you are trying to listen on both the phone and the computer, you will have a difficult time. So if you're listening on the phone, I ask that you turn your computer down because they are at different intervals. Um, we are fortunate uh, today to have with us Chair of the Assembly Education Committee, Patrick Dagnan. Assemblyman Dagnan uh, is represents the 18th district, which is located in Middlesex County. The assembly was elected to the assembly in 2001 and became the chair uh, last year. Assemblyman Feigen uh, is a lifelong resident of the district, having been born in South Plainfield, and we are fortunate that he is uh, with us today. Um, right at the moment, he just got disconnected, so uh, we will have a slight delay before he gets on. Um, and I will uh, start with a, a little thing that I saw yesterday. Uh, this week I was fortunate enough, and one of the reasons I, I invited the, the assemblyman on was that um, there's two sides to all the issues that we've been discussing. I went to, uh, and I've been had the opportunity to go to both NJA legislative events and also town hall meetings that the governor has sponsored, and um, you find that there's a, a two world views. And that uh, in one world, the governor's world, uh, we need to change education drastically and that public workers are part of the problem. And in the other world view, uh, from the Democrats, some of the Democrats and also some of the, some of the public union leaders, there is a, a view that they, they are not the problem, they're part of the solution. And it's very hard for us to to come together on those issues. So we are fortunate. I'm also waiting for the assemblyman to come on. I think he had a little problem with the phone number. Um, that we're fortunate to have Assemblyman Duggan, if he, when he does join us, talk about these issues from a Democrat's perspective. Because the Republicans, uh, uh, the governor has the bully pulpit, and he has the opportunity through a variety of things. Uh, hold on. Uh, Hi. Hello? Is this uh, Assemblyman Dagen? Oh, yes. Yes, 
989-8904. Then I'll, I'll pick up. I still am picking up. I was in my monologue opening, if you could just dial that again. Okay? Okay, thanks. Okay, that was the Assemblyman's office. Uh, he will be calling in shortly. Um, so the idea of this show is to have conversations on the on the issues and for us to have conversations. The dialogue in New Jersey tends to be a little bit more um, uh, tense. So uh, if you bear with me a couple of seconds, his office just called, and I should be hearing from the assembly chair momentarily. And once again, if you want to participate, you dial 1-347-989-8904. Assemblyman Dagnan? Yes. Oh, hi. How are you doing? This is Ray Penny from the New Jersey School Boards, and welcome to our show, Conversation hey. on New Jersey Education. Hey, Ray. How's it going? Good. I gave you a great warm-up, but I don't have time to do it again. Oh. <laughs> but I will tell the people who are listening that Assemblyman Dagnan is one of the more uh, open uh, legislators who's willing to go to a lot of places to talk about the issues. Um, okay. Assemblyman Dagnan, uh, one of the things that happens is the, the governor – uh, you know, through the office in New Jersey is one of the strongest governors in the na nation, probably from my perspective, is the strongest, and also garners all the attention. Um, so sometimes it's hard for the voice of uh, the opposition party to get, to get their voice heard. Um, the governor has been on the stump, I guess, the last month and a half talking about his state budget and education reform. Let's talk about his budget proposal. There was an increase in state aid to education this year. Um, what are your thoughts on his first proposal of the budget? Well, it's a work in progress. I mean, I've, this is now my 10th budget address. Uh, the budget that is ultimately adopted is never even close to what originally is submitted. So, you know, at this particular point, it's just premature. To zero in on education, though, um, you know, I, I one line that kind of uh, jumped out at me is there were references to holding education harmless this year. And after cutting 5% of, and, and, the, and the thing about it is, you know, when you use the 5% figure, it's so misleading because it was 5% of the overall budget, not 5% mm -hmm. of state aid. So in a town like Metuchen, which is in my district, uh, there was an overall virtual elimination of state aid to, to the uh, borough of Metuchen, which is one of the finest educational towns you will find in the state of New Jersey. That's just not a good news story. And, and I mean, there's, there's literally... Dozens of towns that fall into that same uh, sad example. So, that, right now in the state of New Jersey, uh, education is not in a good in a uh, good place, and we really, as you know, and this isn't a political thing, not a Democrat or Republican. We really have to figure out where our priorities are and where we're going. Uh, I'll stick with the budget a little bit because in that, uh, the assumption on his budget was some pension and benefit reform proposals. Mm -hmm. You know, he tied the the, the rebate and a, and a contribution to the pension system in part of his in his budget. Uh, what are your thoughts? Uh, we'll we'll look at the pension benefit. There are some proposals being thro thrown out right now. I I think there's consensus that something has to change. But what has to change? The governor and the and particularly the Democrats in the Assembly may have a different different opinion. Well, to me, they're two totally different issues. Uh, everyone agrees that pensions at this particular point uh, need to be modified, uh, including those that 
are beneficiaries of the pensions. I mean, if you talk to police, fire, public employees, teachers, they all realize that regardless of fault, you know, we can go back to Christy Whitman and say there never should have been a pension holiday, but that's, you know, no do-overs, water over the bridge. Uh, so clearly there has to be uh, some modification. I think Senator Sweeney's proposal in that regard at first blush seems pretty pretty solid and, and right on. Um, benefits, on the other hand, to me is, are an entirely different uh, can of worms. I mean, that really is something that should be done by collective bargaining. Uh, last year, we imposed a 1.5%. There was a representation to folks that 1.5% of salary. Uh, there was a representation of folks that that was going to be it, that going forward it was going to be collective bargaining. And I think we gave our, gave our word, and that's what we should do. So to me, they're totally, really different mm-hmm. issues. And the governor is pushing uh, the plan that he had, I guess, as a federal worker, where he would like it to be 30% at a premium with more of a well, choice. So, uh, well, th- and he wants that done by the, sometime in March, at the end of March, I guess. Well, I guess he's going to carry around the big calendar again. Um, you know, again, orchestrating these things, uh, using a bully pulpit, I mean, I guess it's good for sound bites, et cetera, but the unions get it, the members get it, the citizens get it. It's time to really stop calling folks names, you know, um, trying to say that anybody that has a different point of view is in the pocket of somebody or another, and let's everybody sit down and start working through these things. I mean, that's my approach, and, you know, I think hopefully that's at the end of the day where we'll be. Well, before I go on, because he mentioned some of his education reform ideas, on that, I remember speaking to you when we did an interview for school leader, and you were upset with the tenor and the style of the governor a year ago. Uh, I don't think he's done anything to change, at least your mind, as to that he's creating the dialogue that you feel is helpful to the the state. Yeah, I mean, I, I and I'm, you know, I'm 61 years old, so I'm, I'm from a different generation, I realize. But I was brought up in the era of Nelson Rockefeller, John Kennedy, uh, where folks would sit down, discuss uh, their differences. Uh, in fact, uh, Nelson Rockefeller was the one that, that would first quoted the phrase, politics is the art of compromise. Nowadays, compromise has become a dirty word. You know, if, if you're not pure, if it's not a 100% position paper, uh, then somehow you're evil in it. You know, there, there always are differences of approach, uh, different solutions, and we just got to get beyond this. Our, our country is challenged right now. Our state is actually, latest statistics prove that uh, our un- unemployment rate is higher now than the rest of the nation. New business starts are lower than the rest of the nation. So, you know... It's really now starting to be on the governor's watch. You can't blame Governor Corzine anymore. Uh, we really have to start, really have to start working together to do what's right for New Jersey, and, and obviously closest to my heart is education. Um, I know in the governor's budget address he did mention education reform. That uh, and his, his reform centers on a couple pieces. Uh, one is uh, the role of the teacher, tenure reform, merit pay, evaluating teachers. Uh, seniority rights, and the other is on school choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the questions I got was from uh, a parent in who couldn't be call in, but she's uh, in East Brunswick, and she has a question on charter schools uh, and public input as to you know uh, the running of charter schools. She mm-hmm. felt that there was not enough accountability uh, on some charter schools, uh, and that the public had no input in her district as to 
the budgetary issues or anything with that. What are your feelings on charter schools? Because I feel we are in a different position than we were 15 years ago when they started. East, East Brunswick is the poster child. I'm happy you mentioned it. Um, there is now a Hebrew language charter school in East Brunswick that um, is really basically um, redirecting about a million dollars a year of uh, what would otherwise be uh, public money going to the public schools to support a charter school that the residents of East Brunswick really don't want. Um, in fact, they're having great difficulty meeting the attendance requirements, and now they're starting to try and solicit parents, excuse me, students from um, Highland Park and surrounding towns to meet it. It's just, you know, if the citizens, if the, if the municipality doesn't feel a need for a charter school, in my mind, simply should not be considered. And I actually have legislation, which is going to be up next week before the Education Committee, uh, to require that there be a vote of the municipality before a charter school can be, a, be permitted in, in a particular town. They have the same dynamic right now in Princeton. There is a, a similar effort going on in Highland Park. The, the residents of these towns don't want charter schools. And again, we're talking Princeton, East Brunswick, Highland Park really mm -hmm. high-performing districts. It's kind of bizarre that public funds would be diverted to charter schools in those towns, especially since the citizens don't support it. So actually I agree with that person uh, 100%. It should be supported by the municipality before it is approved. Yeah, and I, I guess it's, for our listeners, they should also note in those towns the, the funding of the charter schools would come from uh, property taxes for the most part, whereas oh, yeah. some of the yeah. I mean, urban districts, it's the state funds. Yeah, because urban districts are, are virtually totally funded with state funds. But, you know, a township like East Brunswick only gets a very small portion. Uh, and now it's reduced about $3 million under the new budget um, of state aid. And, uh, you know, you're really basically diverting public funds, tax dollars, for a uh, private charter school, especially when it has a specific focus. Like that one is a Hebrew school, a Hebrew language school. Is the one in Princeton is a Manchurian language or... I forget the name, specific type, but that by nature, I think, segregates people. It's not what America is about, and I don't support it. And um, now, do you think there will be bipartisan support, at least on the dialogue on charter schools? Because, as I said before, I think they're in a different place than they were 15 years ago, uh, especially with us doing some of the ex expansion. Uh, your Republican colleagues on the Ed Committee, who I know you respect quite a bit, do you think they would participate in this dialogue on this yeah, issue? I, I, we have a terrific committee, um, and I'm happy to say that I've, I, in the years that I've been chair, and I've been on a committee my full 10 years, I've never seen any partisanship. Um, I think everybody is on board that charter schools are a potential aid, especially in our urban areas. Yep. To get back to, to square one, statistics show somewhere between 95 and 97 percent of the school districts in the state of New Jersey are performing very, very well. But we do have some, some areas that are really in crisis mode. Uh, Newark, Camden, you know, you know, you know the towns. And if mm -hmm. uh, charter schools can be of assistance in those particular towns, there's not a reason in the world we shouldn't encourage them. But uh, you know, it has to be done properly. We don't want to um, authorize charter schools that are going to fail a year or two later. And there has been a very high failure rate of charter schools. And we want to be certain that obviously there are standards in place, that they're certified teachers, that there's performance. Uh, obligations for charters just like public so does everyone support charters yes but we want to be certain we get it right okay uh just a reminder to our listeners if you want to call in i, I see we have a someone who wants to ask the assembly a question you dial one 
347-989-8904 and press the number 1 and my screener, Christy, will ask you what your issue is. I'm going to be asking Debbie, who's from the Assemblyman's Home uh, County of Middlesex County. Debbie, you have an issue, a question about uh, school funding? I'm, I'm asking if the um, Education Committee will continue to fight the cuts that are being made to education, which are destroying our children. Okay. Assemblyman, will you be uh, fighting Ab- for education? Absolutely, Debbie. For Debbie? I mean, what, what is going on right you know, I was thinking this morning um, uh, there was a, there was a uh, show on TV about the Barack Obama's presidential campaign, and as you may recall, his his uh, slogan was the audacity of hope. And I'm starting to think that in New Jersey, especially when it comes to education, it's the audacity of hopelessness, and that's not where we should be. Uh, we have got to find the necessary resources to fight to be certain that our kids. And, and let me tell you, it's not just K through 12, higher ed. Two hundred million was cut from the higher ed budget last year, which was already on a shoestring, and not one dollar is being restored this year. Uh, this, this is, you know, if middle class kids don't get a quality education or have the ability to get a quality education at an affordable rate, we're doomed, and we're close right now. I, I did read across America the other day in three different schools, and in all three schools, the class size had increased to about twenty-five kids in a class in fourth grade. That's not good. Uh, you know, any teacher will tell you the number one thing is is a small class size. So we're we're up against it right now. We better get our priorities in order. Uh, Debbie, is that a good enough answer for uh, you that the assemblyman will be uh, fighting? Yes, thank you. I really appreciate it because I too read a read across America and you're reading to fourth graders who are in overcrowded class. Um, our children are lacking in technology and there's no funding to continue that to higher education. So yes, thank you. I appreciate your answer, Selena Diamond, and I know you are fighting. Thanks, Debbie. Okay, uh, Debbie, I'm going to put you on hold. Uh, continue to listen. Um, I'll take the governor's position on that. Where are you going to find the money to fund ex- education is what he would probably say to you. If he calls you, I'm not sure if he does. Uh, you know, Franklin Roosevelt, who was one of our greatest presidents, said that he had a very simple theory about taxes. Those that are most able to pay should pay the most taxes. One of the first things our governor did, uh, you know, and he's going to say, oh, the Democrats let it lapse, but and that's all political jargon, was to do away with the millionaire's tax. The millionaire's tax generated approximately $1 billion, with a B, $1 billion in additional revenue to the state of New Jersey. Ironically, the amount of cuts to education in the governor's budget was $1.1 billion. It's not brain surgery. Uh, you know, we as a state have got to determine what are our priorities? How are we going to properly fund them? And, uh, you know, that to me is, is one of the things that has to be on the table to uh, those that are, and, and as you well know, those that are on Wall Street, et cetera, are reaping in the benefits right now. The, the stock market is going through the roof. Bonuses were up this year. I think Goldman Sachs gave the biggest bonuses in the history of the organization. A lot of those folks live in New Jersey. In fact, I found it interesting. Governor Corzine told me that New Jersey, actually generates more in its income tax from Wall Street than New York does, which always stuck in my mind because so many of those that are performers on Wall Street live in New Jersey, you know, and obviously that whole rim area up there, Bergen County, et cetera. But is that the only solution? No, but we just have to have the dialogue. And, I, you know, I'd love the opportunity to sit with the governor, the treasurer, and let's have a real dialogue as to what's important and how we're going to deal with it. 
Okay, I'm going to move on to teacher issues, but I do have someone who wants to ask you a question. Her name is, uh, actually, she wants to commend you. Her name's Julia from Princeton. Um, okay. Hold on. Uh, it, her name is Julia from Princeton, and I, I think you know who Julia is. Yes, I do. Uh, Julia, do you want to just uh, say anything to the assemblyman? Yeah, I just wanted to say that um, I am part of a group of parents called Save Our Schools New Jersey that have been agitating to maintain the high quality of our schools, and I just wanted to say thank you to the assemblyman because we found him incredibly receptive and open and responsive to the concerns of parents and voters, not just in his district but statewide, and we're very excited about the reform legislation he's introduced on charters and just really appreciate his hard work. Okay, well, actually, you, get a, you got a little uh, shout-out there, uh, Assemblyman. Well, actually, so, uh, as, as they say right back at you, she's been very, very helpful in terms of um, – recommendations concerning the entire charter and save our schools the whole organization's been you know as one thing i always say is most of my best ideas are somebody else's <laughs> so you know talking to that group has really really been helpful okay uh, Julia, i'll put you on hold if you have any other questions just uh let us know i'm going to move on to other topics um it's not part of the budget, but the governor did mention tenure reform. Uh, his committee just task force just came out with uh, recommendations on how to change the way we evaluate teachers. Now, I have to let you know the association does uh, support tenure reform uh, of some sort. Um, what are your thoughts on tenure reform? Okay. First of all, nobody, including teachers, um, want bad teachers in the classroom. Uh, you know, they, if, if you talk to any group of teachers, they will always say uh, bad teachers should be removed from the classroom and should be expeditiously um, dismissed and have a review process, etc. But that's a, a whole light years different than just eliminating tenure. And the governor actually said in his State of the State address, this year I want to eliminate tenure. In my mind, that is an awful idea. And I can tell you firsthand, uh, you don't want to be teaching the, the mayor's son and the kid be a troublemaker or not performing well and do not have tenure. You don't want to have the uh, head of the Board of Education's uh, daughter in your class and not performing well. So th there's a reason that way back, I think it was 1913, New Jersey was one of the first states to give tenure protection because that really gives the teachers the ability that they need to properly do their job. Uh, but the whole area, again, the whole area of uh, resolving uh, teachers' uh, you know, status and non-performing teachers is something that I know firsthand. The NJEA, the School Boards Association, everybody has terrific ideas on. It doesn't rest in a hand-picked three or four committee uh, group that is going to come out with a predictable recommendation. You know, the, the whole idea of um, coupling teachers' um, job security with test scores in the abstract sounds like a great idea, but you know there is no system in place to do that right now. And I, I don't think the average citizen in New Jersey realizes that. If a kid moves from Camden to um, New Brunswick, let's say, hypothetically, they right now do not track their test score performance. We have so many port of entry students, specifically in our urban areas. We have a mobility factor in a lot of our districts where kids will be in and out of a class in the same year. So they're just, in fact, the 
uh, Commissioner Designee Cerf, who, by the way, I, strikes me as a very nice guy, um, admitted openly that there is no system right now in place to be able to evaluate teachers based on performance. So until that system is in place, why are we even having this discussion? I mean, we're kind of putting the car before the horse. So we have to get that system in place. And I think I mean, your task force even said that it, it is the beginning of, of this uh, discussion, really not the end, and you can't really get the tenure reform until you have an evaluation model that is fair. Uh, Correct. To, to, so to, to all parties. Let's see the let's see the let's see the system. Let's get all of the advocates involved, parents, teachers, school board members, and come up with a system that's reliable. And then we can talk about reevaluating how to to uh, uh, give job security. But right now, to just say, and you know, I'm, I'm, I don't want I I never get involved in the old motivation game. But to be attacking teachers and to be saying they don't deserve tenure and we should do away with tenure because of uh, we have a better system. Oops, that system isn't in place yet. Well, that to me is not the way to go. Yeah, and just a clarification for the people who are listening. Uh, I think it's less than 25% of all teachers do have at this point a test directly related to their – a statewide test directed to their curriculum. So there's a lot of sure. teachers that don't. And, I, and it was even in the task force. So I, I think uh, there will be discussion, uh, just for clarification, again, the association does support these reforms as long as there's a fair and uh, system put into place. Um, yeah, that's, 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 that's the you, – you've just said it. That's the linchpin. Yeah, we well, have to have the fair system and see what it is, and then we can start having this discussion. Right. Um, you mentioned his name, and I have another caller up there, but um, – what do you think of the selection of uh, uh, Acting Commissioner Serf, and do you, have, do you see that moving along that uh, approval? I know it seems like there's a snag in the Senate right now. Yeah, I see Senator Rice today, yes, but I only saw it in the paper. He's an intelligent guy. I mean, I, again, I have only – I spoke to – I have to say that right when he was nominated, the next day he called me up, which I thought was very nice. We had a nice conversation on the phone. In fact, I'm actually supposed to be meeting with him on Monday. I think his heart is in the right place. You know, we may disagree on some policy issues, but based on what I have read uh, and my personal contact with him, he clearly seems qualified. He's, he's intelligent. He uh, cares about uh, the future. So, I mean, I have no particular problems with him, but, you know, we obviously have, will be vetted by the Senate. Okay. Um, but, I'm, I mean, on paper, he seems to be a good choice. Uh, we have a caller. um Mike from Tewksbury has a question. Mike, you have a question on health benefits? Uh, yes, I do. Uh, thanks for taking my call. I'd like to thank Assemblyman Dignan for spending time to um, to have these conversations. And I really appreciated his comment about um, working together in collaboration as opposed to just sticking to talking points and uh, really getting into the dialogue of the, the main substance of issues. And I want to go back to what he talked about with health benefits where he said, um, 1.5% was to be fixed and that it shouldn't be looked at again. And I just want to know how um, the Assemblyman would reconcile that statement with the fact that since it's fixed to salaries, but there's a cap on the budget of 2%, and health benefits, I'm in Tewksbury, we've increased um, the previous year by 25%, and this year by 40%, health benefits alone, and it's a $1.6 million budget. So we had an increase of about $400,000. Teacher salaries are about $6 million in our district. A 2% cap would be about $120,000. The 1.5% they're going to contribute 
is $1,700, and we're stuck with the other $398,000, and we self-fund our district by 93%. So I can understand how people don't ever want to see benefits changed, but the dynamics are we talked about increasing class sizes, but why would you not want to put across a concept that is fair so that the pressure on non-Abbott districts doesn't have to be on increasing class sizes? Uh, gentlemen, he he does bring up a good point with the 2% cap and the, the rising cost of health benefits, even with the 1.5% contribution, uh, there's a problem budgetary. And I it probably wouldn't be just uh, non-Abbott districts. I think it would be Abbott districts that have the same problem with uh, health care costs. Uh, how do we re- rectify that? Okay. First of all, just so you know, I'm one of the three people in the assembly that did not vote for the 2% cap. And the reason being, in any other state that has imposed a cap, the state simultaneously increased state aid to help the municipal. Tewksbury is a – my brother actually lives in Tewksbury, so I'm familiar with it. Tewksbury is another poster child of a you know, outstanding suburban town that gets virtually no state aid and is being required to do more with less, and then simultaneously, oops, we impose a cap on you. But, Mike, just so you understand, I'm not saying that it's not time for public employees and teachers to uh, contribute more towards uh, their health care costs. What I'm saying is that is appropriate through collective bargaining as opposed to being imposed by the state. Um, And, again, the the governor continues to reference the federal model, and that is a good model. What the federal model does is they give options, you know, a menu of uh, various health care plans, and then you make a decision as to which one you're going to pick, and then the amount you have to pay depends. For example, I'm 60 years old. A 60-year-old will not need maternity coverage. We have a situation in New Jersey right now where you'll have multiple people in the same school district or working in the same town, husband and wives, both collecting health care because there's no reason for them not to. That's the kind of stuff that has to be sat down and looked through. Plan design is very, very important, as you well know, in addition to just imposing, you know, it's, to say just 30% across the board is just a nonsensical way to approach it. But, no, it's a crisis, and we have to deal with it. And Tewksbury is, a, is a, again, a classic situation of a great town that's being hurt because of really what, at this particular point, is nonsensical impositions. So, no, I'm not saying that there should not be changes and the changes aren't needed. It's just that I believe it should be done by collective bargaining because every town is different. Tewksbury is different than, than Newark or Camden or South Plainfield, the town I live in. Just as a follow-up, and I really appreciate that, um, I've sat through collective bargaining. I've been on our board for six years. And um, the issue that I have with collective bargaining is you might as well be in Atlantic City because the deck is completely stacked. So when, when, when you're in collective bargaining, you usually have the issue of do you want to reach in a settlement or do you want to see job actions and delays of things that affect the classroom. And I'll, I'll give you a prime example. Um, last year, we offered the teachers the ability to just contribute $15 more for their prescription drugs. Right now, they only have a $5 um, copay. So to increase it by $15, it would have saved our district about $145,000. Know, a, a flat-out no. Now, if we go into mediation, which we have done, if we go into mediation, 
when you find out who the mediators are, they're former administrators that also benefit from the collective bargaining system, that are also in the pension system, and they earn about $1,000 a day to keep this protracted. And so what happens is then when you actually go through all these, what they do is they look at the historical um, settlements of other surrounding districts. And, of course, all the surrounding districts have to go through the same process, which is a very broken process. So what happens is everybody looks at the information that's stacked and says, oh, but look, this is what they've gotten, so this is what you should get. And this is after probably going on for about two years. And, and it's the, the process through you know, state after state. What I don't understand is if the state wants to control something like this, then why wouldn't they do it at a state level? Why wouldn't the state say we have three different programs? And by the way, if you don't want to contribute any money, then you can go on to this HMO plan. Our, our plan in, in Tewksbury a family, it costs us $23,000 to pay for one family. And we even have part-time bus drivers that are on that plan. So you know, the, the, the question that, that I just would ask you is, how can you reform collective bargaining so that the deck isn't so stacked against a board member and, and the citizens of the state? Okay, Mike, well, I'm going to put you on hold. Uh, you can continue to listen to the Assemblyman's answer because I have other callers. Uh, well, actually, actually, there is legislation that uh, that the governor uh, vetoed to change the whole uh, arbitration uh, mediation process, which would put it on a wheel as opposed to, you know, picking arbitrators uh, that the they would be able to consider the economic effect on the municipality, et cetera. So clearly, that uh, deck being stacked was a concern of the legislature. We addressed that earlier. I think Linda Stender was actually the sponsor of that particular legislation. But Mike, here, here's the problem. The state health benefits plan, we went there, tried that, where everybody was – they were trying to put into the same plan and, um, you know, have a cookie-cutter approach across the state. That actually ended up costing more money to the municipalities. In fact, a lot of them are now opting out and going into GIFs because experience ratings, the way the insurance companies calculate it is that if you had one or two towns that had a bad experience rating, they affected all the towns. So. Larger, from my experience in government, is usually the least effective way, an efficient way to bring about cost savings. So doing it on a – I know it's difficult on the boards. I know the negotiations are difficult. But actually, if you're talking about cost efficiency, from my experience, doing it on an individual basis is a more effective way of doing it than statewide. Uh, and, Mike, I would I would comment that I think you might see movement to change. At least the association will be fighting for it. And I think there will be changes to help boards at the bargaining table. I have another caller coming in uh, who I know, uh, the, the superintendent from Chatham, Jim O'Neill. Jim, is that you? Correct. Hey, Jim. And you have a question on teacher evaluations. Well, I was going to comment on the testing uh, issue because what bothers me um, in the whole process and acting commissioner serve and the governor talk about frequently tying the test scores to teacher performance and remuneration and so on. And the, the fact is beyond what the assemblyman already said, um, the, there is very little credibility in the existing test. The low, uh, the NJ ask tests are really minimal proficiency tests. The high school proficiency test is a minimal proficiency test. And my belief is we're actually, we're spending $28 million a year on testing and we aren't even testing the skills that kids really need to be successful in the 21st century. We're testing skills that would help them be successful in 1972. So there's a, there's a deeper issue here beyond tying the tests as, as the assemblyman said, um, because there's, there's few areas that are tested. 
but the credibility of the test is in my mind a bigger as bigger or bigger an issue. And that would go probably to the assemblyman's concern that the credibility of the system when you go to change how people eva- are evaluated. Is that correct, Assemblyman? Correct, correct. Yeah, I, I, Jim, I agree with you 100%. There, there, what, what exists right now is, is absolutely positively uh, not reliable. I, I think, um, if I heard correctly, I think the, the commissioner is aware of uh, some of these issues, and, I, I, and he realizes it's a work in process. Um, yeah, he acknowledged that. Yeah, when when he made a statement the other day, he acknowledged that, that what exists is, is not reliable. And I think, uh, and since you're an administrator, I'll ask you this question. Uh, it was brought up at the press conference in Princeton when the commissioner mentioned it, some of the changes. Is there a concern that we don't have enough administrators, or who would do all the evaluations if we were evaluating all teachers, not just the, focusing in on teachers who don't have tenure? Is there, there was well, a concern that we have to focus on that? That would would take me to my skew on that would be a little different maybe than somebody else. My my answer to that is is rooted in um, some of the accountability regulations which have forced county offices to review budgets in such a narrow way that instead of looking at you know I'll give you my example. My example is that I have one of the consistently one of the highest performing districts in the state and I'm now two thousand dollars below the state average on a per pupil cost. So why does the county office really want to ask me, you know, why do I have aides in kindergartens? Uh, they should really just be concerned how well I'm spending public dollars and what the end result is. Um, because when you keep uh, talking about administrators not, don't bring a lot to the table, I would say then that you really haven't understood the dynamics of a school. The dynamics of a school are that you need supervisors and administrators that to drive change to uh, impress people how important it is to use contemporary strategies in a contemporary curriculum. Otherwise, you're going to be stagnated and not make the changes in a timely fashion. Okay. So, let me any comments on, you know, I, on that? You know, it comes back. It comes back from your point of reference. I believe, and uh, you know, maybe Jim, you could uh, tune in on this. I believe that we have some of the best performing schools in the nation. No and we have some of the best teachers in the nation. And it's almost like the debate right now is that our, our schools are failing, the teachers are awful, the administrators are making too much money. Um, you know, we have, to, we have waste and inefficiencies across the board, and we have to blow up the system in order to save it. I just, I don't buy into any if, of it. If New Jersey scores as well as we do, and we're carrying Camden and Trenton, Jersey City and Newark and Patterson, those districts, how well do you think those other districts are doing? They're doing extremely well. So for the governor to keep berating those people is, is just is disingenuous and it's a disservice. Okay, Jim, I'm going to put you on hold, but you can okay, continue to listen to the assemblyman. Uh, assemblyman, uh, the superintendent brings up uh, a good point about how good some districts are doing. But the governor does want to focus in on those districts where their kids need help, uh, yep. in some of those urban districts, Newark. And I assume that you want to do that, too. Uh, how do we do that? First thing you do is, I'm going to give you a real-life story. Ruben Ramos, who sits on the Education Committee, Ruben is also a teacher at Patterson. At the last Education Committee hearing, we were talking about the uh, charter schools and the success of some and failure of the others. And Ruben said, let me give you a real-life situation. He said four times a week in his school, some kid will turn to a teacher, and we're talking grammar school kids, and tell the teacher to go F themselves. He said they'll send them down to the uh, 
office, and there's very little the office can do when the kid is back even more out of control than to begin with. So why am I bringing this up? There are so many issues in our urban areas that are not typical education issues. They're family issues. They're uh, support issues. They're discipline issues. And I think what we really have to do is rather than just thinking that uh, school choice and charter schools are going to solve these problems, we have to make a, I mean, almost like an atomic energy type uh, a review of how in the world to deal with these issues, give teachers the support they need to be able to expel a disruptive kid so that the balance of the kids can properly learn. So many, if you go to the Robert Treat Academy, Steve Adubato's uh, charter school in Newark. No doubt about it. It is a terrific place, a terrific place. The kids are well-disciplined. They all wear uniforms. They're polite. But again, they're, they're from families that have good structure, and also they have the ability to discipline those kids and to expel those kids if they're not performing well. I'm not saying we should expel every kid that's bad, but we have to give teachers some kind of tools that when a kid is, is that disruptive and confrontational in the class, there has to be some consequences. Yeah, I mean, I'm just bringing this up. Is this, is, this is a conversation that has to start right now because, as Jim just pointed out, we have you know identifiably five, six districts in the state of New Jersey that are in real trouble, and we've got to save these kids. That's, that's what it's all about to me, save these kids, because we all know the statistics. If a kid doesn't graduate from high school, the likelihood of them ever having a productive life is virtually zero. That cannot continue to happen. Okay. Um... I have a couple of questions. One will be tied to that to us. Um, what is, where, where's your stance on the Opportunity Scholarship uh, Act? I, I know the governor feels that's how he's going to help some of those kids, uh, the same kids that you want to help. Uh, mm -hmm. Where's your stance on that, and where do you think it, if, if it's going to move in the assembly? I'm totally against it. I don't know if it's going to move or not, but I am totally against it. I mean, to me, when we're saying we don't have enough money to properly support our uh, kids and now we're going to divert, uh, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars towards vouchers. And whoever came up with the term Opportunity Scholarship Act, I guess I have to tip my hat for diverting the conversation. It's vouchers. And it's, to me, that's not what public education is about. It gives the ability to separate kids that can choose to go to other schools. I, I, I just don't think it's where we should go. Okay. Um, and I, someone else emailed me uh, a question. It's totally in a different direction, but it's on school construction. Mm -hmm. and they had a two-part question. There was some uh, in last Tuesday. There was a story about some kickbacks in school construction uh, with the, with the contractor, uh, and also another one on prevailing wages uh, as a, something that school districts have to pay, and why do we have to pay that, and will we reform that? So it's a two-part question. Do you see that? Uh, well, the school the, the school. To, the school development authority, to me, is a poster child, a poster child of um, absolute inefficiency over the last uh, year and a half. Um, just last week, I mean, a year, over a year after Mr. Larkins was appointed, and you know, a year, almost a year and a half after the governor was sworn in, we finally got a list of ten schools that have been designated to be built. Um, the first of which won't even start construction till next year, and none of which, none of which 
will be completed during the governor's term in office. So think about that. During the governor's entire term in office, not one school will be built under the School Development Authority, while simultaneously it costs approximately $50 million a year to pay salary and overheads for the people of that authority. I last week visited Phillipsburg. It's just unbelievable. I mean, the kids have been learning out of trailers for now about 15 years, uh, costing the state money. The state had to put in close to a million dollars just this October because of the erosion in the site was actually going into the Raritan River. I mean, it's just, it's absurd. Now, has there been waste in, in some of these projects in the past? Yes. But the vast majority of them went off well. This situation in Westfield, I don't know the details about it. But clearly, uh, if there's one model of what has not gone well during the last year and a half, it's the School Development Authority. Okay, I'm running out of time for follow-up questions. Uh, I'd like to thank you for joining me, Sam Lemon. Yeah, anytime. Uh, uh, I hope you enjoyed the questions from some of our yeah, audience yeah, thank, members. Thank, thank the folks for calling in. And um, I will have to let the people know that next week I'll be talking tenure reform with a teacher. My um, guest will be Joe Sheff, who's a Patterson School teacher and president of the Passaic County Teachers Association. I don't know if we agree on all the issues, but Joe and I will have a civilized dialogue on this. Uh, and I hope you guys all join us. Um, and we also, in a, one month, will have Diane Ravitch, author of a, a book uh, on education reform. So I thank you for joining our conversation, and I hope to... You, you join us next week. Thank you. Okay.